Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So our guest for today's episode is Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Sasha is a renowned cardiac anesthesiologist. She's a mom to four. She's a wife, a TEDx speaker, and she's the CEO and founder of Brave Enough. Through Brave Enough, she leads more than 10,000 female physicians on how to live confident, courageous, and connected lives. Incredible, right? I am so excited for you to get to meet her. Sasha actually also just came out with a new book in all of her free time, right? Uh, It's called Between Grit and Grace, and in it, she talks about what it means to be both feminine and formidable, both graceful and strong as a woman and as a believer, and I just knew we had to have her on the show to talk to us about this. I think for so many of us, we're trying to figure out what it means to be a strong Christian woman. As a woman, are we supposed to be quiet? Are we supposed to be submissive? Are we supposed to be feminine? What does any of that even mean? And can we be those things while also being a strong leader? How do we tap into the full potential that we have and make the difference in the world that we were created to make? And can we do that while still being feminine? Again, what does that even mean? And if we're crushing it at work, what does that mean for our home lives, for our families? Can we knock it out of the park at work while also being a great mom? How do we invest in our careers and our personal lives at the same time? Or do we have to choose between one or the other? And what do we do about some of the resistance we come up against sometimes at women, particularly at work? We keep hearing about gender bias in the workplace, and I know so many of us have experienced it, but what are we supposed to do about it? How do we embrace our strength as a woman, both at home and at work? Yikes, right? Those are huge, important questions, but I'm so excited that we're going to get to start talking through some of them together. In today's episode, Sasha shares some of the obstacles she's faced as a woman on her own path to success. And she teaches us what to do if we find ourselves in similar tricky situations. We talk about what it looks like to be a mother and a successful career woman and why she believes it's possible to do both. And that's just the beginning. I loved this conversation. So like I said at the beginning, these are some really big questions. This is a tough topic and we are just scratching the surface here today. But I'm so grateful that we have such an incredible big sister in Sasha to share with us what she's learned. So you guys ready to dive in? Here's my conversation with Sasha. So friends, I'm so excited about who I get to introduce you to today. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Sasha, and this is a powerhouse woman. I'm so excited for you to get to hear more about her, more of her story. And I just, we have a really, really good topic for you today. So Sasha, thank you so much for being here at Girls' Night. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to connect with you and your audience today. So before we dive in, I would love it if you would tell us a little bit more about who you are, uh, what you do, and I would love to hear a fun fact about you. Okay. Um, I am a cardiac anesthesiologist, which means I am a doctor who takes care of people that are undergoing heart surgery or transplant surgery. And that's what I do during the day and sometimes at night and on weekends. Um, (laughs) I also have four amazing children. So I'm a mom and an amazing husband named Lance. And I run a organization called Brave Enough, which is really about teaching women how to invest in themselves. And I love it. I have uh, a book coming out. I have conferences and courses. And I just, my passion and my mission in life that I feel like God has really called me to do is to teach other women. So that's what I do in my spare time. In your spare (laughs) time. In my spare time. And a fun fact about me. So most people are surprised to know that when I was in college, I spent a semester in Washington, D.C. as a Senate intern. I thought for a while I may want to may want to go into politics. Looking back, I think that that's hilarious that I ever had those aspirations. But I did do that for a semester. It was uh, during an election year. It was super fun. It was crazy. I got to see behind the scenes how our government works. When I tell people that, they just look at me because if you know me, I don't even like, I just, I stay away from politics on social media and in discussions. It's not my thing. So it's just funny when I tell people that they're like, what you, you were in politics at one time. 
That's okay. This is not exactly the same thing, but I spent a semester in college in Washington, D.C., interning at a TV station there. And so we spent, I mean, it was all political journalism. And so I spent so much time on the Hill and, you know, I'm standing behind the um, videographer as he's, you know, recording an interview with a senator or something like that. So I, there was a minute where I had a Senate (laughs) press pass. And so I feel like, (laughs) but we're connected already. Yes. We're connected already. But again, yes, I'm the same way. I, I, that's not the path my life took. And (laughs) so anyway, I love that. I love that. So there's so much that I want to talk about in this episode. Um, and we're going to dive in really quickly here, but before we do that, I would love just a little bit of your backstory. You, I mean, do so much. You are, you have an incredible career and a cardiac anesthesiologist. That's amazing. So how did you get there? What did that, other than a, a brief stint in politics, what did that, <laughs> what did that path look well, like? Well, I, I took very much the traditional route of medicine where I was pre-med and, you know, in high school, I did all the science classes and then worked really hard to get um, into a pre-med program in college and then went on to medical school and did a fellowship in cardiac and all these things that took about the first like 32 years of my life, literally. And I always wanted to be a doctor. So I did this path very young, but at the same time on, on a parallel path, I, I didn't really think about the impact that that would have on, say, me finding a spouse, starting a family. And every bit of every year that I proceeded to become a physician, because it really takes you into your early 30s to get there or you're around 30, depending on what specialty you choose. I realized that while a lot of the attributes that made me very successful in high school and college, like being obedient and getting straight A's and earning gold stars as a, as a woman, they really started to hurt me and hinder me as I started working in a very male dominated field. And the part of me that was very feminine and the part of me that liked things like lipstick and you and I share that as well (laughs) and, uh, style and, uh, liked, you know, going to movies with my husband or talking about my kids when I would, you know, kind of formulate that part of myself in the workplace, I felt like I wasn't taken seriously as a doctor. So what I did was I started becoming less and less authentic and I knew that I wanted to get ahead and be successful. And so I didn't, actually realized what I was doing, but I was trying to emulate men in the workplace, which left me very burned out and very dissatisfied and feeling like I had two identities and I couldn't be the person I truly was at work because that person would not be successful as a physician. And then I would go home to be with my kids and I would feel like I was a different person and I was struggling to connect with my husband because I was tired and I was exhausted and I felt like I couldn't be myself in either place. And I'd lost myself in this process. And I think this happens to a lot of women as they, as you kind of grow in your life. And as you, you know, you figure out, you have to figure out so many things so young, like what you want to do with your career, if you want to pursue a career and, or versus a job or what you want to do in life. And at the same time, you're trying to build relationships and you're trying to build a family perhaps. And so I recognized that I had to get back to who I really was and who God created me to be, which is actually both of those things. I can be really, really gritty and I can take over a situation and run a code or, you know, I can be in the operating room and save a life and I can tell people what to do and be very authoritative. And that's who I am as a doctor. But at the same time, I can cry with a patient who just lost a family member or who's struggling, or I can step outside and talk very tenderly to my child. And that doesn't make me less of who I am at work. So that's why I wrote the book, uh, between grit and grace. And that's why I really started, um, my group, which grew to about 11,000 women doctors because women physicians or women, I think in general are very isolated at times when they go through these periods of their life. And when we can connect with other women and we can tell our stories or we can share on a podcast like today, which is amazing what you're doing with girls night, you don't feel so isolated and alone. And you feel like maybe some of the things you're going through are perhaps normalized. Mm. So you you spent the first 32 years of your life, like head down, mm-hmm. working towards your career. Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned that 
you feel like some of your other, like other areas of your life weren't developing as much. Mm -hmm. So did you have kind of this moment where you were like, I need to somehow in my busy schedule, start dating, or I need to start like, what did, how did the rest of your life coincide with that timeline? You know, it was, it was, it was a struggle. I, uh, luckily I met my husband before I went to medical school. I met him my senior year of college, but I actually deferred medical school for a year to basically get married and support my husband for a year in graduate school, which I knew at the time that like, this was the person I wanted to marry, but it was going to take a sacrifice. And even my family was like, what are you doing? Like (laughs) they supported me, but at first they were like, wait a minute, you've always wanted to be a doctor. But the truth is that sometimes you have to choose things. And I've never regretted that decision. So I did put off my medical school for a year why I, uh, married my husband and supported him because we were in two different States and I've never regretted those years. Um, I, I think that there were definitely times when I was early in our marriage and starting a family that I look back and I I have grief actually, because I think that I was forced into a system of medicine where medicine always comes first. Your patients always come first. Your work always comes first. And that's a great thing if you're on the other side of it. But when you're young and you're, you're trying to start a family or a relationship, you feel like you're failing. If you ever put your family first, or you put your relationship first or starting a family first or your kids first. So there's a conflict with you as a professional because you take an oath and I've learned now that that's actually a very unhealthy way to approach medicine. I've learned that there's boundaries for a reason around your career and that your family should always come first. I think it's, 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 these are tricky waters to navigate. And I think it helps having other women who can say, you know, take this time off or take a year off, you know, your life's not going to end. If you take a year off of whatever you're pursuing to pour into your relationship or a family or a passion project, just because we have all these traditional career routes, doesn't mean that we can't alter them. Mm, that's so good. One thing I wanted to just point out that I've, t- I've been talking to some girlfriends about a lot lately is we really do have these parallel paths in our lives. Like we, we're not one thing. We have so many different mm-hmm. areas of our lives mm-hmm. that we're trying to grow. And that's part of what makes life as a woman so crazy is like, there've been some kind of Instagram posts floating around. I wish I had one handy, but it's like, I'm just trying to wake up and get to work and take care of this kid and grow in my faith and go to the gym and get groceries. And just, I mean, all these things all at one time in one day, there are so many things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's so many different parts of our lives, but I, you know, as we're looking around at women around us, I think sometimes we feel this comparison or, um, like shame because one part of our life isn't growing as fast Mm -hmm. as someone else's. And, Mm -hmm. but the thing that, you know, my girlfriends and I have been talking about lately is just because one part of your life may feel a bit behind, it's probably a bit behind because another part of your life is a bit ahead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with, I have tons of girlfriends who are starting their families and, um, have kids and they're in front of me when it comes to that area of their life. But they're also kind of looking around thinking, what do I want to do with my career? And I know the answer to that question. And so I think that it's, it's, it, it just has been an important reminder for my girlfriends and I that, you know, if you are 32 and you have been head down, focused on your career, you're not behind in every area. If you're not married or don't have kids, like you just have been focusing on one area and the women who are married or do have kids and have their families like well underway, they probably haven't been focusing on their career as much. And so it's just, there are a couple paths moving at the same time. And, um, I don't know, it's just that, that visual is something that my girlfriends and I have been thinking about a lot lately. I love that. I, I tend to, in the classes I teach with women, very similar to what you're talking about, we talk about priorities and how, you know, if I'm really doing well in my career, maybe I'm not doing so well in managing everything at home or my health suffers. Like maybe I'm focusing on writing this project or doing this thing, but then I haven't been to the gym in whatever, <laughs> in a few, few months. And so I always say, you know, to me, I tend to remind myself that I'm driving a car with three other seats and that's it. And the rest of my life, I'm going to be driving the same size vehicle. And there's really only room for three other people or priorities. And when one 
come, if you open the door and invite another priority in, something else has to, another passenger has to get out of the car. It's just the truth. I mean, there's been times in my life where I've been very focused on my health and my well being. And then there's other times where I'm focused on one of my kids for a certain thing. And that's okay. We have to give ourselves grace to understand that there's seasons in life, there's times in life where one, th- we might have an opportunity to do something that maybe one of our girlfriends is like looking at this going, wow, you have this great opportunity, but there's probably something that she's doing that you could find that you wish that you had that time or that space or that opportunity. Yep. So I think the biggest thing is to just support one another and understand that, you know, it's very difficult to be a woman in 2020. Let me tell you it. The truth is it is. <laughs> we have a lot of messages coming and pressures on us from society and other people. And the best thing we can do is just to support one another where we that. are. I love that. Well, so you, you touched on this for a second, but I, I know that there are so many obstacles that you've faced along the way, you know, with this mm-hmm. path that you've been blazing down. But I know that something you've talked about. And again, you mentioned this a little bit, an obstacle is, is your gender. And Mm -hmm. I would just really love to hear more about that. Like how, what does that look like in, I mean, you're in a a male dominated field. Um, and you mentioned that you felt Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't be taken seriously as a doctor if you brought your, your personal life into, into the OR, into the hospital. Can you tell us like, what Mm -hmm. have, have you felt held back by your gender? Have you felt treated differently? I think the first thing to understand is gender bias is universal and there's no blame to be put on one person or a gender. Like, it's not like, you know, every time I talk about this, everybody gets a little defensive and stiff because you start looking at yourself. And the truth is every single one of us has bias. Every one of us has gender bias. We women have gender bias against other women. So it's, it's part of how our society has grown and developed through different periods of time. And the truth is that women and men are extremely different and we lead differently and we, we live differently And predominantly, there have been most of our leaders and most of the people making decisions, especially in the area that I practice in, which is healthcare, 87% of leaders in healthcare are men. So, but 83% of the workforce are women. So you have this disconnect between who is actually, you know, in the workforce and who is leading. So when you are a woman who has attributes that are leadership and, you know, you are a leader, right? You are doing this podcast. You are writing books. You are doing courses. You are a leader. When women start to lead, women lead their families and lead their communities. They lead in so many ways. When we start to possess characteristics or traits that classically everyone in the room, women included, attribute to a man, it all of a sudden feels odd to us. Like, why is she taking charge of the meeting? Or why is she talking in that tone? Or why is she giving a directive, even if that's her job? So what happens is we as women sense that and we start to change our tone or we start to change when we speak or we speak and then second guess it. So this happens all the time. You know, women in my group will say, oh my goodness, I had to, I had to stand up for a patient today or a procedure. And then mm-hmm. afterwards I second guessed everything I said. Right. And actually I would say that that's who you are. It's society not being used to those traits because the majority of those people that display those leadership traits in the workplace or authoritative traits in the workplace are men that we all bristle a little bit. And so what I have started to do is I've started using what's called leading statements. And these are, have been proven in studies to show that it makes everybody calm down. So for example, if I'm in the operating room or if I'm in a meeting and I'm going to speak in a tone that's authoritative or share something, or maybe give directives to people, cause that's my job. I'll say, I'm going to start to speak in a very authoritative tone. I'm not, don't take it personal. This is how we're going to move forward to get this job done. Or I'm going to speak up now. I'm going to speak authoritative. I'm not upset by it. See, and that makes everybody else calm down. It's the same thing if you start to display very feminine traits in the workplace. For example, how many times do women, when they get upset Mm -hmm. or passionate about something, they start to cry? And I have this all the time. Women are like, oh my gosh, I, I was so upset. I wasn't sad. I was actually angry or I was really passionate about something. And I, my voice started to crack and then I, and then nobody took me seriously. So 
what I do is if I'm going to talk something, something very, really close to me or passionate about something, I'll say, you know, I, I do a lot of public speaking and I I'll tell a story and I, I may say, I may cry or my voice may crack a little bit just because I'm really passionate about this. I'm okay. Hmm. And everybody else kind of takes a collective breath. So I think it's our job as women to not step around these issues, but just to be authentic and be who we are and say, it's okay. Because then we open up the, the, the space for other women to interact and lead in those spaces the same way that they want to. I love that. So did, I mean, did you, how did you have to learn this? Like, have you, have you struggled being a woman yes. in a male dominated yes. field? What does that look like? Yeah. So it's really interesting in medicine, you know, there's different, it's very hierarchical. So there's like, there's like people that are at the lower end of, you know, you're, when you first start out and especially in academic medicine, you're what's called a, a st- instructor and then you're an assistant professor and then you kind of get up the ranks. And when I was in the lower ranks, when I was first starting out in my career, I don't know that I really felt a lot of gender bias because I looked around, there were a lot of women and I didn't even know if I was really being, there was any discrimination or bias because I was just trying to get to work and just survive. I was trying to raise small people and do my job. As I progressed in my career, I started really seeing gender bias and I started seeing men getting opportunities that I was not getting or other women weren't even considered for, even though the women would be, have maybe more experience or they would have even been active in this area, they would just get looked over. And the most of the time it was not blatant, like sexual discrimination. It was what's called benevolent sexism. So this is like, okay, Joe and Susie both are really good uh, in this for this position, but Susie just had a baby. So we're not even going to ask Susie because we're just going to assume she doesn't want this and we're going to give it to Joe, this job. And all of a sudden Joe has a title and Joe has more money and Joe has more power and position. And Susie didn't even get asked. She may have said, no, that's totally fine. But Susie was taken out of the equation. So I really struggled with this for several years. And when I would mention it to my male colleagues, they would say, who were leaders with me, who I respected, they would say, well, you know, why are you bringing this up? Because you're, you're successful. And I would say, but I'm, I feel like I'm leaving all these (laughs) women behind who aren't even getting a chance. So at some point in my career, I really felt discriminated against, um, especially when I started looking for promotions. Um, people would just say to me, well, we would, we would ask you, but you know, we know you have four kids or we know you, you know, and I'm thinking, but I, I, I actually have, shown that I can do all these other things and have four kids. Like, why do I have to choose? Why can't I be both of these things? So, and the other, I mean, the piece of that is that no, no one would ever say like, Joe may also have four kids, you know, and no one would ever say, well, Joe has four kids. Like no one, no one would ever think that. And the sad thing is then women feel like they have to choose. And we're the only you know, God made it. So we're the ones that have babies. (laughs) So like, I just don't think that you should, I don't think God would ever want someone to choose between the passion that he's put in their heart and having a family. I think you have to make decisions based on the health of your family at different times and the different needs. There's definitely been times in my career where I've not been able to pursue my career because I needed to focus on specific aspects of my family. But I think that we can be both of those things and we need to kind of open up the work environment to to accept the fact that women are often have a family or are trying to have a family or are in a relationship. Um, and that that's okay, both for men and women to embrace their family. Hmm. So I know that some of us have personally experienced gender bias, um, but for others, it's something that we've maybe heard about, but we don't feel like we necessarily know as much about it as we should. So like zooming out from your personal experience a little bit, can you give us like Today in 2020, what is this, what does this look like? Do you have any like, I don't know, statistics or just, I would love just a picture of what it looks like to be a woman in the workforce in 2020. So statistically, it's, it's a little depressing. (laughs) If you look at the statistics, if you focus on the statistics for the U.S. workforce, because women are paid about 67% on average as a whole for every dollar that a man is paid. And that is for the same work. So 
for me in healthcare, it's about uh, 75%. So that means from October, November, and December, I'm working for free. If you look at it that way, oh. right? Because be and and for other women, it's in the in the general U.S. population, it's sixty seven percent for every one dollar that a man makes for the same job. Now, the now women do work part time, but these studies have been shown FTE to FTE comparison, right? So this is like dollar for work FTE for work FTE. So. The reason for that is that we know that women, so pay is one really easy data. It's a data collection that it's very easy to collect and look at and say like, okay, this is a bias. And the problem is that we know that it happens on day one. So for example, right when women graduate and they come out of their first job, say you, we have Bob and Susie and Bob and Susie went to the same college. They have the same degree. They're going for the same job. And this company needs to hire two people for the same position, entry level. Bob is, they're going to say, Susie, we're going to pay you $60,000. And Susie's like, wow, this is amazing, right? And Bob, they say, Bob, we're going to pay you $60,000. He's like, how about 70? And they're like, how about 65? And so right off the bat, women make less. This happens in medicine. For your first job, the average woman doctor makes $17,000 less than her male counterpart. So then what happens is as we go through life, we have to take time off for maternity leave. We have we have families, and the perception of women who have families in the workplace is that they are not as serious about their career. So, women are just seen as. And then, if you are seen as a strong, assertive person, so someone like with my personality, where I'm pretty authoritative, and have an outgoing personality in the workplace, I'm then seen as a threat to power. So those that's like people don't understand. Like, why is she acting that way? That even though I'm acting the same way possibly the most of my male colleagues in leadership are acting, those characteristics we know are, it's like a double whammy. So then if you do say, no, I actually really want to be a leader, you may get the door shut on you even sooner. So it's really difficult. And that's why the book I wrote, I named it Between Grit and Grace, because to me, women, most women are really gritty. If you get down to it, like you showed a lot of grit starting this whole company you know, people might look at you and be like, well, what's she doing? She's really young. She's really pretty. She doesn't seem to be somebody that's like cutthroat. What is she doing starting all these businesses? But you had to have a lot of grit for that, but you also demonstrate grace in your, and so I think that we need to, I always tell women like push your elbows out, grit on one side, grace on the other, and just push the margin out and say, it's okay to be both of these things. I'm not, not being a team player when I take authoritative position or stance in the workplace. And if I'm experiencing bias, it's actually not about my actions. It's the society's actions. So let's point those subtle characteristics and biases out. Let's not shame anybody. I'm not into shaming or, or blaming one, you know, Mm -hmm. gender the next, but let's just point out that really this uncomfortable feeling is not because of how I'm acting. It's because of how you are perceiving I should act. Yes. Well, okay. So what do, um, thank you, by the way, (laughs) I I realize no one can see me, but I'm sitting here just like blushing and grinning and feeling really appreciative. So when we find ourselves in this, in a position like this, like say we're in a job and we find out that Joe, who has the same job, who's been at the company for the same amount of time, who has Mm -hmm. the same credentials and everything is making significantly more money than we are. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we go for a promotion and someone who is less qualified than we are gets it. Or, you know, when we find ourselves in one of these situations, what do we do? Like what options are available Mm -hmm. to us? That's a really good question. So There are options. The first thing to know is there are options. And the first thing I would do is someone in your work environment, hopefully, but probably not, knows, needs to know the data. So the first question is, it's always best to approach this as what's best for the environment. And actually, there's so many studies to show that companies who know their data, their pay data, their gender data, that know what's going on, actually have better customer service scores, better return on in, in the, on their investment, better bottom line. So the, the more women you actually have at the head of a company, around a boardroom, around a table, around who's in charge of the company, the more women and the more underrepresented minorities, the healthier your company is. So it just makes good business sense. So the first thing is to 
if you think that you're experiencing paid gender data or gender bias from a pay standpoint, you really need to have conversations with the leadership team and say, look, I, I'm perceiving this. Let's who can you, can you disprove me? Can you show me that that's not true? Because chances are nobody even is looking at it. Most companies, they don't even look at this data. And then when they do, they're like, oh my goodness, we didn't even know this was happening. We're not purposely trying to happen to do this. So that's the second thing. Now, obviously there's legal, if you're really experiencing um, bias and discrimination, you should always seek legal advice. I tell everybody to do that. And and it's just so that you can inform yourself and, and, and really educate yourself. It's not so that you can take a suit to your company or anything like that, but it's just so that you can educate yourself. But the biggest thing is just to be um, aware of it and to be part of the solution. So for myself, I recognized a couple years ago that women were not getting promoted as quickly as men. They were getting promoted, but about two or three years behind their men, our, the men in our department. And I ran the report, I ran the data, I collected all of it, but I asked first and I said, Hey, can we look at this? I asked my boss and he said, yeah, let's look at this. So you know what? We figured out the data and then we formulated a plan with why is this happening? Well, we realized that women weren't even seeing themselves as being worthy of a promotion. So the men were like, the minute they thought they could get the promotion, they would go for it. But the women were like, well, I got to check all these other boxes because see how we're trained to succeed as young girls is like to be obedient, follow, you know, earn our gold stars and make sure we check all the boxes. So we had to really get, we had to do some education and be like, okay, when you, we're going to take everybody up the same, we're going to both take the men and the women and make sure that everyone that could go for up for this promotion feels qualified and feels like they have the opportunity to do that. So there are a lot of things that you can do in your work environment to support gender equity. When, when I was asking that question, I was trying to picture like, okay, uh, just like my first reaction. And I think, I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but my first reaction was like, go in and say, Hey, this is not fair. And, but then I'm like, okay, well then that puts them on the defensive. And, and what if you're wrong? And I mean, they're just, uh, I think maybe like attacking the situation probably isn't best. And so I I love the way that you said that because chances are sometimes people are doing things on purpose, even Mm -hmm. if they are doing things on purpose, I like, I still think that attacking them from the front that way is probably not going to turn out the best. But going and saying, hey, like not blaming or not angry, but just can we can we look at this in general, not just for me? For me. Like that that mm-hmm. just seems so much more like you're gonna get so many, I don't know, so much more buy-in, so much more help along mm-hmm. the way instead of going in and saying, I think that you're paying me less than my male counterparts and you're discriminating against me and things like that. Right. It just seems like it, that seems a lot more productive. (laughs) I'm playing these scenarios out in my head as we're talking. (laughs) And, and I think it's important also for women to understand that it, it doesn't, it's not a reflection on you because that's what we do. We, we hear that someone else got a promotion or a, a man is making more than us in the same position. And we think, gosh, what did I do wrong? And the truth is that it's just, it's pervasive and it's everywhere. And it may, it doesn't mean that you have done something wrong or weren't enough, but that's the message that we get. And then we get this imposter syndrome where then we don't even want to try for the next thing. We're like so discouraged. And that happened to me several times in my career where I would be looked over for something or no one would even think of me. And then I would just be like, man, I really screwed that up. So there's no way when the next thing comes up, I'm going to put my hat in the ring. And so I think we have to really recognize that a lot of the times it's this benevolent sexism or it's gender discrimination that is unconscious, has really nothing to do with our work or how we're working in the workplace, but it's a systems problem and it's a society problem and we can be part of that solution. Mm, That's so good. I love that. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, I hope you're loving this conversation with Sasha as much as I am. Isn't she incredible? I wanted to pop in for one quick second to thank our sponsor for this week. Our sponsor today is an amazing company called Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a website where you can get matched up with a Christian counselor for professional online therapy sessions. You guys, I am so excited about this, and here's why. So if you guys have been part of our Girls' Night community for a while now, you've heard me talk about counseling and about how life-changing it's been for me. Well, because I talk about it so much, I always have women asking me for recommendations for good therapists, and I never feel like I'm able to truly help. 
I don't know therapists in every city across the country, and I've never known of a great central database of counselors until now. And that's why I am so excited to be able to share Faithful Counseling with you. Faithful Counseling is amazing because you get traditional mental health counseling, but from a Christian perspective, and you get to do it all from the comfort of your couch. Yes and amen to that, right? So something that can be really tricky about traditional in-person counseling is that you may be looking for a particular type of help, but because of where you live, it may not be available to you. There may not be anybody nearby with expertise in that area, but with Faithful Counseling, you get access to so many more people, allowing you to find help in whatever area of mental health that you might be struggling with, no matter where you live. They've made the process of finding a great, affordable Christian counselor so easy. I did the process just a couple weeks ago, and it really is super simple. So all you do is you go on their website and you fill out a form about yourself and kind of what you're going through right now and what you're looking for in a counselor. And then Faithful Counseling will connect you with a fellow believer online through their giant network of licensed professional counselors. Once you're connected to a therapist, you can start communicating with them in less than 24 hours. You can log into your account at any time and send your therapist a message and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response back. You can also schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And the best part is you get to do it all in your PJs, which is the best. I feel like all therapy should happen in our PJs, right? I got matched with a counselor of my own just a few weeks ago. I've been loving working with her so far. I love doing mental health checkups every once in a while. It is so important. And one of the things I love most about how faithful counseling works is that it's really easy and totally free to change counselors if you need to. I've always believed that for counseling to be truly beneficial, you have to find a counselor you really connect with. And oftentimes, we don't find the right person on our first try. And so then we're stuck going through the whole process of breaking up with our counselor, which is super awkward, and then starting from scratch to find a new one. But with Faithful Counseling, they've made this so much easier. If you don't love your counselor, or if you find that you're looking for something different, you can switch by clicking a button. I did it. It's really, really easy. And switching is free. They really want you to be able to find the best fit possible. And I love that. One more thing I really wanted to mention about Faithful Counseling is how affordable they are. Their prices are significantly cheaper than working with a counselor in person, and they also have financial aid available. And so if you've been wanting to try counseling, but you're really working with a budget, this is an awesome budget-friendly option. Guys, if you've been thinking about therapy and want to check it out, all you have to do is go to getfaithful.com slash girlsnight. And I'm so excited about this. Faithful Counseling was so generous to give our Girls' Night listeners a special discount off of our first month. To get 10% off of your first month of counseling, all you have to do is go to getfaithful.com slash girlsnight. I want to say that again, just to make sure you guys have it. So to get 10% off of your first month of counseling, all you have to do is go to getfaithful.com slash girlsnight. Faithful Counseling, thank you so much for sponsoring our Girls' Night. We just love having you. All right, guys, now without any further ado, let's jump back into my conversation with Sasha. You talked about this a little bit, but I want to kind of circle back to it. Um, the fact that that a lot of times the expectation of how a man acts, especially in leadership, is is different from our expectation of how a woman acts. Or we we have this one adjective, like powerful. And for a man, we have this, it's a power, like being a powerful man is a really good thing. Being a powerful woman kind of, I don't know, we have some sort of weird reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there really can be sort of this double standard. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Like, w- how have you handled this in your career? Like, what do you downplay things or <laughs> I feel like I'm not making sense. But no, I, I, I want to hear exactly you talk what about you that. mean. So you're actually describing something that has been classically described as leadership versus social backlash in the workplace. And this is a real thing. There's been lots of studies to show this and describe it. And that's exactly what you're describing. So you're you're totally right. Good. I'm like, um, I'm like, I'm <laughs> saying things. Does this make sense? Okay, no, perfect. It, it does. So I I talk about this in the book. So on one side, you have what's called leadership backlash. And this is what is women who have power. And it's not just in the workplace. It can be power in your community, power in your whatever space you're leading in. So like women lead in all these spaces. We tend to think, oh, it has to be your career, but actually women lead in, in their churches and their families and their communities. So we have something called leadership backlash and women who experience this are very competent and they're seen as very authoritative and assertive. 
And actually, people think that work with them, their peers, when they score them, will evaluate them as someone who's competent, but someone who's not nice. And these women become very isolated and lonely, and they get labeled the queen bee. And have you ever heard of like women talking about these women? I do. I hear this all the time. Like, oh, she's really, she's really smart and she's really good at a job, but I would never want to invite her to have a a glass of a cup of coffee, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason is because she has been isolated because she is seen and perceived as as being very strong and assertive, but not approachable. Mm -hmm. And even if she has the exact same attributes and rating rankings as her male counterpart and characteristics, men, they're seen as like, oh, he's an awesome leader. He's awesome. He's an awesome guy. Then you have on the other side. So this to me is the gritty woman. And then this is called social backlash. These are the women in the workplace or in their homes or communities that are team builders, they're collaborators, they get everybody on board, they're empathetic, they talk to everybody, they may be more in the background, and they're really competent, or they're really, they know what they're doing, but guess how everybody evaluates them? Oh, they're really kind, but they're not good leaders. So they don't get even asked to ever lead in spaces, even though they may be the the biggest team builder or the person who's actually leading the most. They're not viewed as competent. So it's this, we're, we're stuck, right? We're stuck as women. Like if we veer this way, we're viewed as not competent. If we're viewed this way, we're viewed as not maybe approachable or kind. And that's because of how society puts this on women. We, they want us to be in what I call walking the tightrope. And we, we've all experienced this. I mean, how many times have you been in a situation where you have an idea and you speak up And then afterwards you're like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I should have, maybe I came across too strong. Mm -hmm. No, speak up. That's the, that's the idea that God has put in your heart. Be assertive, speak, because what you do is you let everybody else know that it's okay to do that as a woman. doesn't mean that you're not kind. It doesn't mean you're not approachable. It doesn't mean that you don't care about other things. You're not empathetic. So this is very commonly described in the psychology literature and organizational behavioral psychology. And we have to break that that, that double bind here. We have to break the backlash and say, it's okay. Put our elbows out. I can be gritty and graceful at the same time. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, at the beginning you were talking about in your career, you came to a place where you realized you weren't getting to be your full self at work mm-hmm. and you weren't getting to be your full self at home. How did you get through that? Well, um, it was a really sad time of my life. And, um, it it's, I always get a little emotional when I talk about it because now I have clarity. Thanks the Lord to look back and see it was definitely a valley. I think God takes us through valleys and mountain tops, and, um, it was a valley and it was a, a several years of a valley. And what happened was I remember the, a very clear night, um, that I had flown into Chicago after working all day and, I was exhausted. I hadn't seen my kids that day. I knew I wouldn't see them till probably the next night uh, late if I got home before they went to bed. And yet I had been working all day in the hospital and then flew and took this flight. And I landed and I was walking past a set of mirrors at the W Hotel in Chicago. And I saw myself in in this mirror. And it was like God just grabbed me. And it was like I... I just really felt the Lord's presence. When I went to my hotel room, I, I was broken because I saw myself and I saw that I was so sad and I didn't think that that's, I thought to myself, is this what I have really worked my whole life for to, to, to look physically this exhausted and be so sad inside. I didn't, I, you know, at this period of time, I wasn't even wearing makeup because I was too tired to wear makeup, but I loved makeup. Actually. I actually love makeup. (laughs) It's like one of my hobbies, but I hadn't put it on in several years. Um, I hadn't done anything for myself. Like, you know, I wasn't exercising. I wasn't taking time for myself to pray and do my devotionals. I was just empty inside because all I was, was I had two identities. I was a mother and I was a doctor and there was no space for me as a person in my life. I wept that night for several hours to the Lord and asked him to help me build myself back to what I was. And over the a year of pulling back and into solitude with him, I realized that I, number one, I was very lonely. I had really had no girlfriends because 
I had said no to them. All my girlfriends, when they'd asked me to do something, I was too busy. I just never took time for it. And I saw having girlfriends as something very selfish, which I think we do in life. And yet we need them. We really need our friends. And so I thought to myself, oh, if I ever wanted to go out with a girlfriend, that's like selfish. I should be with my kids or I should be working. So I took about a year and I really started, I started giving myself 30 minutes a day of quiet time. And sometimes I would just sit at the kitchen table and cry in the morning before everybody else got up because I was so empty. I didn't even know where to begin. And then I started a year of rebuilding myself. And that's when I really, I started my, my, what is now my group of 11,000 women. I literally sent out a text message to nine other women and basically said, do you want to be my friend? (laughs) And they said, yes, we'll be your friend. I said, well, let's start a text group where we just encourage each other. And that grew to what now I have as StyleMD, which is my private Facebook group for women physicians, and then Brave Enough, which is my company and my Facebook page that I write and blog and do conferences and things for women, because I think women, there's so many women like that. And now I'm back to who I, who I know I am, that God has made me to be. And, um, I embrace lipstick. (laughs) I spend time on myself because I know that's the healthiest thing for my family is for me to pour into myself. I spend time with God routinely. I, I exercise, I do all the things that I didn't do for, for years because I was so chasing what I thought was success. And that led to me to a very low place. Oh man, that's so I'm so glad that you shared that. I'm, I feel like I need to sit with that for a while. That's so good. So switching gears just a little bit, I'm thinking about your husband in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, can you tell us a little bit about him? Like, wh- what does he do? And um, where was he in, in all of this? So my husband is, his name is Lance. Um, uh, everyone in social media that follows me knows him as HSG. Cause this is what I called him when I first met him. My friends and I didn't know his name. We called him the hot soccer guy. So That's we called amazing. him HSG <laughs> for a long time. We're like, Hey, there's that HSG guy. Um, that's HSG. So amazing. I have called him this for years and now that's what I call him on social media. So if you follow me on social media and you're like, what's HSG? It's that's my, so I, I met him actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of camp Kanakuk. Um, yeah. yeah. And so my husband and I were both counselors there. Um, and then we didn't run into each other for about a year. So I met him my senior year of college when I was going off to medical school and doing all these other things. And then it kind of threw a wrench. The Lord threw a wrench in those plans, thankfully. And my husband is a orthopedic physical therapist. So he does sports rehab. Um, and he is my best friend and he is my biggest supporter. And he is an amazing father and partner. And he really really cares and loves me just as much as I love him. And so he knows what that means to him. And that means supporting me in brave enough, supporting me through medical school. I mean, he was there through all of this and he, I always say, you know, like I take care of everything, but he takes care of me. (laughs) It's Mm. very true. Um, he's very hands-on dad. We are, we're a good team, but I will say that there are seasons in life and there's been seasons where he has worked full time and I was not doing brave enough. And then when I started doing brave enough, he started helping me with the business and went part-time with his job. So, you know, when our kids were little, we, there were, I could never have done brave enough when I was like, had like little tiny babies and I was breastfeeding and all these things. So I think, I think we need to, every woman needs to give herself grace for the seasons of life. There is a season for everything. And my husband um, and I have gone through seasons. We've gone through seasons where we are like, you know, really struggling to find even two hours to go on a date. And then we've gone through seasons where we go on dates all the time because we have time for that or we make it happen. So one thing that I would say is you have to find the person who you want to, you care more about their success than yours. Hmm. Find that person who cares more about your success than theirs. Because if that's both happening in the marriage or in the relationship, you're, you're never going to lose. And it's not like we've had not hard times or gone through difficult times in our marriage, but I can honestly say that I want him to succeed in life. I'm cheering for him every day. I want him to be the most 
peaceful, successful person he wants to be in life, whatever that looks like in this season. Right now for him, that's going to all of our kids' soccer games and being there for their sports. He loves that. So he's like, I got to get there. I, I can't do the dishes. I can't do that. So we hire people to do that, right? Yep. Like yep. that's the season we're in. We don't have time to clean our house or do laundry or do dishes. And I I can't expect my husband to do that when he's when his success right now for him is being at all of our boys' and our daughter's sports stuff. So like he feels the same way about me. He wants me to be successful. And he knows like this book launch, like we've talked about it. I'm launching this book. This is going to be a really crazy year. I'm going to be doing a lot of interviews and podcasts. And he's like, whatever we need to make that happen this year probably means that we, I can't do other things in my career, but I can do that. Or I can do this with the family. So yeah. you have to find the person that really wants to see you succeed in life. That's the key because that person, um, obviously that you share a faith with that wants that loves you. It's more than just love. It's like rooting for that person and cheering for that person. To me, that's been the biggest success of our marriage. I love that. I love that. I'm going to go call my husband after this because I feel exactly the same <laughs> way about him. Um, and I love the idea of trading off too. I think that that's something we mm-hmm. don't think about as much, but I've seen that in our lives. I've seen that in my parents' life. I've seen that in lots of my friends' lives. My, uh, both my parents are licensed psychologists and, um, my mom had her doctorate before my dad did. And so she, you know, I put him through um, his doctorate, like supported him as he, as he got that. And then, you know, my, my mom isn't working anymore, but my dad is. And so, I mean, there's just this trade-off of, of this is your minute. And this is my, like, this Mm -hmm. is your time. This is my time. I'm going to take as much off of your plate as I can so that you can be so present for this. And then there's a time where it shifts. And I I think that that is really beautiful. One of the things that has been really hard for me to hear over the last couple of years. You know, we talk about singleness and dating a lot in my community. And because a lot of the women who are here are like, you know, are single or dating or, you know, engaged, just getting married. Um, one of the things of fear that I've heard a lot is that a man isn't going to like you if you have a big job. If you if you are successful in your career, that might be intimidating or like a deterrent for a guy. Can you like speak to, to the women who are feeling that way. Like I want to hold myself back in my career because I really want to get married and I'm afraid of intimidating someone, or I'm afraid that, that a man doesn't want a woman who is, is ambitious and successful. I think that that's a really important point to bring up. And I think ambition in a woman is a really interesting thing that I never realized how so many people see ambition as a negative trait. And I don't think that that's true. I think that if you look at scripture, you'll see a lot of ambitious women (laughs) in scripture. Um, And I think that's still very prevalent in our society, which is surprising to me, because if you think about, you think of that with that kind of context of, well, I need to, I want to find a husband. I want to start a family. So I need to hold back. My career is something that maybe our mothers would have went through or, but not our generation. But interestingly, even my son, I my son who's in junior high came home one day and he said, mom, I need to ask you a question about a girl in his class that he really likes. And he said, I know I see her grades. She gets really good grades. She's really smart. He goes, but when she talks to me, she always acts like she doesn't know the answer and that she kind of acts like, like a little, like not smart. And I think she's doing that so that I'll like her more. And she, and he said, why would she do that? And I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's happening even now in society. And we talked, and and we talked about that. And I said, you know, some girls feel that when they're in that age, that they need to hold back so that boys, they don't want to be smarter than boys. And I said, but the truth is God gives all of us talents and he gives all of us neurons that fire in different ways. And we're all smart about different things. And you want to find a girl who embraces her brain and who embraces her ambition and who embraces her ideas and her creativity and her innovation. You want to find that person because that person is not going to be looking for you to fulfill that void. Because I think that that happens so often. And I think that it puts a lot of pressure also on men. If we if women don't feel like they can express themselves that way. I mean, I think if my husband felt like he had to carry all of the ambition 
and all of the ideas and innovation and creativity and all of the career, that would be a huge pressure on him. So I think that that women need to embrace their ambition. They need to embrace their ideas. They need to embrace their passion and their dreams because I think that actually makes you more attractive to men and it takes less pressure off men to have to have all of that themselves. And, and so, and I think there's a commonality too with that. And again, there's seasons, there's going to be times in your life where you're not create, you're not having innovative, creative ideas or ambition as you're focusing on things at home. And that's okay. I love that. And I think, you know, we, as we're looking for someone to share our lives with, I think a lot of what we do is we look at them and the, and the traits that they have and the characteristics they have. I think sometimes I know for me, I like forgot to, to evaluate how they saw me. I forgot, I forgot that that was an important part of the equation. Like how, what, how do they see me and what is valuable? What are they looking for in a, in a spouse or in a partner? And it, it, would be and should be a deal breaker for for someone to only want mm-hmm. part of me or to yeah. only want me if I was small. Um, and we just don't mm-hmm. think about it that way because we want to connect. We want to we want to find someone. We want to share a life with someone. But it it should be a a deal breaker for us to, if mm-hmm. if someone only wants part of us or only wants us mm-hmm. when we are at living up to half of our potential. Well, and if you think about it, you have you know, a very short period of time where you're raising children in your marriage. It's true. The majority of your marriage is going to be just you two. So I think that, and you're, and you're really marrying that person. And I think the mistake a lot of people make, and I see this all the time in my own friends is they married who they thought was going to be a good dad or raise their kids. And they may have been that person, but not the partner that they wanted for life. And it's not like when you get married, you stop changing or you stop, you know, what you you and I are doing right now today, we're probably not going to be doing in 10 years. We're going to be doing different things, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be with someone that allows you to grow and evolve as a person and allows God to put different seeds in your heart and plant different things and, and water different things. And that's okay. It's not scary because actually your child rearing years and how you are as parents is a short period of your whole life together. Yeah. But I think that's what often we focus on is like, this is the marriage. Our, our kids are our marriage. It's not, your kids are not your marriage. Hmm. They're totally part of your family unit. But your marriage is what makes you good parents, right? Mm. So I think that you really have to find the person that will be a good partner for life with you, not the person that you think will just be a good mom or dad. That's so good. So this is a really, gosh, my my girlfriends and I are talking about this constantly these days. You have four kids. You have a (laughs) full-time job. You have, you are leading incredible things in the world. I, I think that this fear that as we're walking forward in our career, that all of a sudden our career has to stop when we have kids or like, how, how are you doing this? <laughs> does, <laughs> does becoming a mom mean that we need to give up our career or does having a career mean that we can't be a mom? No, you, you, you can do both. And the reason now you cannot do at, at every time in life you're, it's going to look differently. The picture of what your career is, is going to be different and that's okay. That's actually really good. You don't want to have to go to work and do the same thing every day for 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. At the same amount or the same space or the same place, allow yourself to have ideas and innovation and, and a foot in the door. You know, when my kids were little, I didn't go around and speak everywhere. I I couldn't, I limited that when I had tiny people at home or I would take them with me. And that meant I didn't do any of the networking events because I was carrying a baby. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that, that now I can travel and speak. My kids are older, but there's, I don't do that specific seasons of the year because my kids play sports and I want to be there. So yeah. like, even if somebody asked me to speak at this amazing thing, I'm saying no, if it, if it's on a big soccer weekend and that's just the stage of my life I'm in. I, you do not have to choose one or the other. You don't. I think that that's what happens to a lot of women. And it's sad to me when maybe you step out of a full-time job because you're, you're raising your family, but what, why can't you write 
Or why can't you still consult with that company? Or why can't you be somebody that does some other aspect? I think we have to get creative in our jobs to allow women to do that. And we have to, you know, I think oftentimes as women too, we put each other in these boxes. Like she's a career woman. She's a stay-at-home mom. She does this at the church, but she just comes on Sundays and does this because she has a career. But really, if you sat down and pulled all of us in a room, we probably have the same struggles, the same things that we're dealing with every day, and we need each other. So like, I think we need to reach out across the divide and stop this like working mom, non-working mom. I mean, work woman that has kids, you know, I talk to a lot of women who don't have children and they feel very isolated. Like they're somehow left out of the group. So I think that we have to open up our minds and not be so like, this this is the path you either are on the career path or you're on the mom path, but you can't have both or you can't have a mixture. It's going to change from each season. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, you know, we're painting with black or we're painting with white. And really Mm -hmm. it's like you have a whole color palette available to you and all the colors are going to play together. Absolutely. Um, So I I know that balance is not a real thing. (laughs) Um, You know, there's this idea of how do you balance every part of your life as if it could ever be perfect and as if you ever find this like perfect stage of equilibrium where if you hold your breath, nothing changes or nothing falls apart. Um, but I know that you are, you are carrying a lot of things and and you've mentioned a couple of things here and there, but I just want to hear you talk about it a little bit more. Are there some like strategies or I don't know, asking for help in certain ways that have made Mm -hmm. y'all's life possible? Yeah. So there's a couple different things. And I talk about this in the book. Um, the first thing is you have to ask for help. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves as women. Uh, the truth is that we are not a 2.0 FTE family. We need about two extra people to make our life work that we have help in our house. Um, whether it's, we have, you know, now our, our kids are older, so they just need drive. They, they need driven here and driven there. So we have a couple, what we call our neighbor Uber drivers that we hire (laughs) to cart our kids around Mm -hmm. and pick this person up. We, I'm very open about the help I have. I have someone that comes in and cleans my house and does laundry because I don't have time to do laundry. I used to do that, but I have no time anymore. And my husband, you know, the the thing is that you, a lot of times we take the, the tasks and we dump them on our partner, but that stresses them out. So we have um, a lot of help. The other thing that we do every Sunday is we take about 15 minutes to plan the week and we look for time alone. And that may sound really weird, but if you don't look for time alone in your week with yourself in solitude with, with just you and God, your life and your priorities are going to really quickly be taken up by other people and other commitments. And women have, I think this huge responsibility to always say yes to everybody and take Mm -hmm. care of everybody because we're caregivers. We've been taking care of people since the beginning of time. And we have to have that space to take care of ourselves to go, okay, this is creeping in. This is actually not one of the three people in my car, but they keep knocking on the door. I've got to push them back. I've got to set a boundary or this person's struggling. I really need to spend extra time with this kid this week. So when am I going to do that? Like we think it's just going to happen, but if you don't plan for it, it doesn't. So the white space is key and asking for help and getting a, a, getting help. And it's not just one person. It's multiple people that you can get to help you. A lot of times kids from the church need, you know, mission money. Um, we hire them to do odd jobs, you know, seasonal jobs, things like that. You, you would be shocked at how you can just, you know, sometimes I've hired our neighbor girls to come over and just go through all the kids' drawers and like change out all this, the clothes and stuff. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a one-time job that you can pay them like you would a babysitter. So mm-hmm. there's lots of things that you can do to get help. I love that. I love that. I think that there really is this, this pride in us that's like, and, and I think we look at other women and we think, well, they're doing it. But the yeah. truth is they're probably not like either, no, yeah. either they are dying because they're trying to do it all or they weren't doing it all to begin with. And, right. or, you know, we, we have selective memories of how much help our moms had. Um, mm-hmm. my, you know, my mom did so much when I was growing up and she worked full time and, but we had babysitters all the time growing up. But also, mm-hmm. like that was one of the most fun parts of my childhood because there were these teenage girls <laughs> that would come over and do crafts with me and like <laughs> do my hair. And it was so it was such a fun thing. But you know, when I like I feel like I'm gonna have selective memory and look back and go, Well, my mom worked full time and she did it all and it, it, that's not true. She didn't do it all. She she had exactly. help. Exactly. So Sasha, I would love if you could just give us 
One last sort of pep talk for any woman who is feeling small or held back or like she's insignificant or afraid of speaking up or being her full self, just Mm -hmm. one last piece of encouragement of like, what is, what does the world miss out on if we keep ourselves small? I would say that there is a space for you and there is a place for you in our world and we need you. We need your voice. We need your ideas we need you to speak up. We need you to be fully who you are because when you do that, you show the little sisters and our daughters and the next generation that it's okay. And even if it's something small and you don't you don't feel like you're the person, you know, speak up, state the idea, go for it. Ha- ask. Put your name in the in the in the ring, you know, just just be brave enough and Accept the fact that you can have both grit and grace. Those things are not one or the other. You can be a leader and be a team builder. You can lead and be assertive and defend someone one minute or defend an idea one minute and show grace the next. I mean, that's what Christ did. So let's embrace that as women and let's let's support each other in being our authentic self. I love that. Sasha, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. It was so fun to chat with you this morning. You guys, isn't Sasha amazing? I just love her and I love this conversation and I just really want her to be my big sister, right? Don't you? One thing I wanted to mention really quickly is that I know we talked about a lot in today's episode. And so if you want to find the links to any of those things, all you have to do is go to our website. It's girlsnightpodcast.com and for every episode, we have a page with the show notes. All the links will be there for everything we talked about, including all of Sasha's contact info so you guys can follow her and so y'all can be friends. The other thing I wanted to mention is that if you haven't had a chance yet, it would mean so much to me if you would take a quick second to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We've gotten so many amazing five-star reviews from y'all, and you've left the sweetest comments. I cannot tell you how much it means to me. And it helps out the podcast more than you can imagine. So if you haven't yet, please just take one quick second to leave us a rating and a review. Thank you so much. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night, and I'm so excited about this one. All right, see you then.